You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast where today on the show I am joined by Brian Callan. Brian is a pioneer in the podcasting world having hosted many top-rated podcasts such as The Fighter and the Kid and also being a regular on the Joe Rogan experience. Brian is also an actor having appeared in productions such as Goldberg's Hangover 1 and 2, Joker and many, many, many more. He is also a veteran stand-up comedian headliner. Brian has performed in theatres all over the world. Most often he can be seen at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles alongside some of the biggest and best names on the planet. It's a very special episode today as I have been a fan of Brian's ever since I first discovered what a podcast was. So it was an absolute honour to bring my podcasting journey full circle today and welcome Brian onto the Freedom Pact podcast where we talk about bad ideas and how we can stop them. We talk personal development also and how to create the perfect you. So this is an episode I feel that everyone can benefit from listening to. So please join me and welcome Brian Callan to the Freedom Pack podcast. My conversational partner today is Brian Callan, a comedian, actor, podcaster, an all-round athlete. Alpha male. Ath- athlete. Athlete, yeah. Come on, man. Model, Fire, let's throw more Dancer, dancer, lover, the whole thing. All right. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Brian, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Always, always good to uh, to speak to somebody uh, on the other side of the pond. So the reason the reason I got you on was when I started out podcasting, it I, I was directly influenced by yourself. And there was a certain segment in your podcast that really spoke to me. It was called Drop in Knowledge. And <laughs> there was one specific drop in knowledge that had a massive impact on myself while I was in university. Um, it was this idea that the perfect you already exists. And you gave this story of a sculptor and said uh, that the sculptor said, the sculpture is already in there. I just need to get all the stuff out of the way. And That was Michelangelo. Yeah, that was Michelangelo when he was going to carve the David, the statue of David. And he said, uh, this is just, the meat is, is in the way. I just have to, it, it exists. I just have to get all the crap out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was so impactful for me at the time because I remember just having a sort of objective look at my life and thinking, right, where are my bad habits? What do I need to get out of the way? So if I turn it to you, how have you used that throughout your life and what have you got out of the way to create the, the Brian Callan of today? Well, you know, um, so much of what we're told is that you have to do this and you have to do that and, and you've got to work on this and you've got to... Um, you know, you've got to correct this and you've got to add this. You've got to add this. We come from a culture and certainly an economy 
uh, that tells you that if you buy this, you'll be happier, right? If you buy this, you'll be complete. And that's natural. That's human. It's very human. But um, and, and rather than argue with that concept, I think many times there, there, are, there are ways to so, so much of what mental toughness, you know, you, you hear this word all the time. Um, I never knew what it meant, really. I mean, you know, I mean, what, what do you mean? Do you, do, does mental toughness mean I hold my hand over a candle and even though my flesh is burning, I just take, you know, this is the, the idea, right? But no, nobody can really live that way. We, we are flesh and bone. And I don't really, I don't know as I get older if I believe in toughness. Uh, certainly not the kind of toughness that we're raised with, this, this idea that, you know, um, you know, Chris Weidman, if you watch the UFC, he's a great fighter and a warrior and trained so hard. And he just kicked Uriah Hall the wrong way. And, and you know, his leg broke in half. Well, that reminds you that no matter how tough you are, you know, human beings are limited, delicate, fragile creatures. Mm. We're a machine made of bone and flesh. And that's a very easy thing to destroy, but a very difficult thing to build. It takes a lifetime to build, doesn't it? You know, when you want to become a complete human being, so it's, it's an ongoing process. So, you know, rather than thinking about what to think about, sometimes it's about, it's a matter of what not to think about. Learn what not to think about. Learn what not to indulge in. You know, learn what um, what you should not be focusing your eye on, and deepen your connection to the things that were already there. One of the one of the things about anytime you go through any kind of a crisis or loss, um, or or because if you're a young person, the contract that you have made with life is. Uh, is a fair one, you know, in, in, in your mind as a young person, you're saying, I, uh, I'm gonna do this, this and that, and I'm gonna get this, that and the other. Please understand that what you, uh, your contract can and probably will be broken. Life will break it. And if you are a veteran, sometimes you'll see this with young men who, and women who go to war, especially young men who go to war, um, because we have a voluntary, army in this country there's there's a night there's and i think this is historical you know there's there's always the stories of men who would go to war because they wanted to be heroic and they wanted to prove their mettle and they wanted to prove that they were courageous and they were patriotic and they loved the country and they loved their way of life and they loved their families and, and they went off to war and the way you get you know people to go to war young men is 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 with with story and with symbol and with you know all these things. The problem with war is that it mocks that. It makes a mockery of it oftentimes, especially if you've seen a lot of combat. And so what happens is people come back and um, they realize that that contract, and it's a tragic thing to see a young man have that contract broken so young. When you're my age, it's fine. You, 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 you expect it. You know, I look at this young dude with all these dreams. Well, you know, life will kick your ass and bend your back a little bit and it's okay. You, you, but the, the, the larger point I'm making is that, you know, sometimes you can be thrown into circumstances that are extreme and they'll break that contract way earlier. I hope not. But there's, there's something beautiful about that at the same time, you know, which is that you may not have gotten what you want, you know, which is the contract you made with life, but you might get what you need if you know how to navigate that loss, if you know how to navigate that chaos. Deepening your connection to what's left standing um, is 
is a very important thing and really can save you. And, and, and I think what you realize when you do that is that, oh, I should have done this all along. I, I wasn't paying attention. I, I'm coming back around to your question. You know, I wasn't paying attention to what was, um, what was there because I was so damn ambitious. I was so ambitious. And I was just thinking about, you know, getting over that wall when I realized that I didn't, maybe I didn't have to climb that wall. Maybe, maybe I should have paid attention to what was around me here and the answers were in front of me, maybe in my mother's face, in my father's face, in my brother's face, and the people that would always be there for you. And I, I, I'm sounding a little bit dramatic here, but it's just another way of, of sort of um, expressing the fact that sometimes deletion, taking things that you don't need away is the best way to get closer to who the real you is. Not adding, not having to constantly, look, I've read a shitload of philosophy. I've read a lot of philosophy, man. And you know what happens? You find yourself kind of spinning in a circle. I'm a huge fan of philosophy and I think you should read philosophy. I really do. It's very important. You should read and immerse yourself in the best that's been thought and said. But but listen, it's not. that's not where all the answers are, man. That can be a form of procrastination. When was the last time you just sat and did nothing but actually think through why it is you think the way you do? When was the last time you actually sat and really thought about why you believe the things you believe and why you take the actions you take? You will be very, very surprised if you actually think through that. No one does that, man. No one. Everybody rides on instinct. Everybody rides on intuition. And those instincts, those intuitions and emotions were given to you. They were uh, a product of the things you probably had very little control of. Where you were born, where you grew up, who your parents were, who your friends were, the mythology you were steeped in. But take a minute and, and don't do anything sometimes. Don't do anything, man. Sit and think. Sit and think truly. And that's the difference between people that you read, the books you read, you know, people read, they write a book and they come up with an original thought and it sounds really smart. And you're like, damn. And then, you know, and people that don't, they, they, you can be a very good, you can be an academic and steep yourself in all the great thinkers, but it doesn't mean you know yourself and it doesn't mean you actually have original thoughts. Yeah. So that's a long, I mean that's a long answer. I love what you said about philosophy there. It's just um, a few days ago, I spoke to the, I don't know if you're familiar with him, the philosopher Peter Singer. And mm -hmm. I was talking to Peter and man, for the next day or so, my mind was just racing over these questions. I'd never find the answer to. And I just thought I need to get away <laughs> from this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good example. Peter Singer's great, but I mean, I, I, I hear you. That's it's it's how how useful is this, you know, and, and so much of what it is, is, you know, you ever hear Stephen Jobs said, when I realized that, that everything around me was made by people who are no smarter than I am, everything changed, the possibilities were endless, you know, and I, 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 I we're all kind of, again, we're all kind of um, thrown into this existence, I certainly was where I, I thought to myself, well, I'm dumb, everybody else is really smart. And I just need to, I don't know, I got to just read and do what I'm told. And, and, uh, but, but sometimes again, maybe, maybe you just have to sit and think that's certainly what the great artists do coming up with something out of nothing. Think about people that invent, 
Think about the great innovators. I mean, come on, nobody, you didn't read that in a book. And by the way, religious enlightenment is a lot like that. At least that's what the Buddhists would tell you. There's no book that can help you. Not even the Buddha can help you. Not Christ, not Muhammad, not, you know, not, it's, it's, a lot of times it's, I guess, you know, you sitting alone and facing yourself. That might be where the answers are. I haven't done it, but it's interesting. We, we talked a lot there about taking things away. So if we flip the script and I mentioned another drop in knowledge of yours where you, you spoke about the power of writing things down. And I remember at the time uh, you said that, it, you know, it allows you to create that linear progression to where you want to be. And, you, you know, you gave the case study that went along with that about students that were uh, wrote things down and they came back years later. And, and those percentage of students, their net worth was higher than the rest. That is a major habit of mine now. But I wonder for you, what habits can you attribute to your own personal development? Yeah, I, that was something I had read that um, I, I, it was a Tony Robbins thing. I, I was trying to write a TV show about a guru, mm. a self-help guru who, whose life was a total mess. So I, I, <laughs> I started listening to Tony Robbins and I wanted to make fun of him. And the problem was I started listening to Tony Robbins and I went, wait a minute, this guy's got a lot to say. I, mean, I, was, I was a young man and I was like, this dude, and this dude's amazing. And, and that was a study that he cited, which was that the, the people, they, they did these studies in universities and the people that wrote down where they wanted to be and were specific about their goals um, were, got there. And, and most people don't. And I think the reason for that is, is you, you know, when you kind of, again, this, this requires you to sit down and actually face what it is you want. That's a bitch. It's a bitch because you have to take responsibility for it. If you really think about what you want, like ask yourself what you would ask for if you couldn't be refused. That's a, that requires, you see what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it's a responsibility and it's scary because you're actually saying to yourself, I'm worth this. Yeah. And most of us don't think we are, man. We don't. I mean, it, it's very, very difficult. Heavy lies the crown. If you really want to be the best, you got to tell yourself that. Why do you think Conor McGregor, you know, or even Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali said, I'm talking to myself when I say I'm the greatest. I'm terrified every time I step in that ring. I know a lot of great fighters and believe me, a lot of them are, they're not brave when they're walking in that cage. That's why I admire them so much. But Conor McGregor isn't, you know, Conor McGregor is not, he's a human being and he's full of self-doubt, but, but he's figured out a way to get himself to believe. Uh, what I admire about that guy so much is that as much money as he has, he still puts him in himself in there against monsters like Dustin Poirier and gets knocked out in front of the world and still gets up. You know, he's this is what I love about that guy. And that's what we all love about people like that who put themselves on the line that way. You know, um, so I, I think. Um, I think that for me, the way I do it is I just, I key into what I really am doing here. I get back to the why and I forget why sometimes. It's really easy when you get successful and you have money or whatever to kind of go into the routine. You know, you go and you do your thing. Well, are you being original? So I always keep back into the idea that I've been given this insane opportunity to make people laugh and I get paid for it. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I get to talk 
come up with funny shit and get up in front of people and make them laugh. Do you know how rare that is historically? You take a historical perspective on that. And that's a, that's a responsibility. And in fact, I was just watching the last one hour I did during COVID. And you know what? It sucks. Yeah, I made a lot of people laugh. I know everybody's laughing. Ha ha ha. I do very well. I'm sure if you came to my show, you'd laugh and have a great time. To me, I think it's bullshit. To me, I was like writing the easy jokes and I'm disgusted with myself. I went to bed depressed last night. I was like, fuck, fuck off, Brian. Like, I was like, I couldn't even watch myself. I watched myself with one eye closed. Like, Jesus, like an hour of bullshit. Bullshit. Now, now, of course, I'm back to the drawing board and deepening sort of like what it is. I'm going through the same thing. It never ends. It never ends, man. I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm like going and I'm going, what do I, do I have the guts to really talk about, come up with something original? Do I? Do I have the guts to really come up with something like, to, to expand on a theme like a, like I don't trust anybody who doesn't use their hands, you know, or 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 um, I don't think anybody under thirty should be allowed to vote. These are weird ideas I have. Let's see me expand on that. It'd be funny. That's fucking funny. Then the stuff I'm thinking about. You understand? So how deep are you willing to go? The responsibility never leaves you. Never. So, yeah. You were speaking of self help. Um gurus and, and the industry you were featured in tim ferris's tools of titans and in that book i didn't belong there i didn't belong there but go <laughs> in that book you said if you're searching for status and doing things because there's an audience for it you're barking up the wrong tree is that the main piece of advice you would give to young people today i don't know man you know the problem with talking as much as I do is you hear yourself say shit like that. And you go, I don't, I mean, I, look, the, you, the, we're, we're social creatures. You want a nice view. You want a nice, you want the girl, you want the house, you want the car. You, you that's not a bad thing. No. You know, it, 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 that'll drive you. It just drives you. I, I, I do think that that is, um, that will dull your instrument though. The irony is that fame and attention and status and money does, if you're not careful, it does dull your instrument. You're not as desperate to be heard anymore. You're not as desperate to be unique. Uh, you know, I mean, I, like, I, I always think about the great writers that we talk about, like Dostoevsky, who was, had, was an epileptic, had a terrible life, Nietzsche, who, who was sick most of his life. Most of these people that, that broke the mold and, and we still talk about never had the luxury, never really experienced luxury. We're never able to even physically relax. I mean, Van Gogh, Chopin, these, these were people that were, um, notice how I say Chopin in French, but these people were all sick. They, they weren't, and, and something about that, I think, um, allowed you to be, um, it, it just kept the ribs on you, man. It just kept you hungry. You know, Billie Holiday and, and uh, Miles Davis and these people that were underclass in, in, they were second class citizens just by the nature of the skin. So they were never really allowed to be too cool. They were dealing with survivor guilt and all that stuff, right? So I, I, guess, I guess the people that continue to produce and continued to surprise us. The, the, real, the real badass was Picasso. I mean, I went to that dude's 
a retrospective, whatever you call it, you know, he was 90 when he painted. The guy was painting on the same level. I'm telling you, the same fucking level he was painting at 40 as he was at 90. That, that's insane. That dude, that guy just never stopped growing. I don't know art, okay? If anybody's out there, maybe people are like, oh, he has no, I don't know. I'm not an art historian. I don't know shit. All I know is when I saw that thing at 90, I don't know anything, but I had, I listened to this guide take me through it. And I was like, this dude is still hungry at 90, still try, still driven to surprise himself. And, and that's a very hard thing. It's very hard not to allow sort of, um, I don't know, the comforts of life when you've achieved them. It's very difficult to um, not to allow that to dull your instrument, get you a little, a little soft around the middle. And, and so that and in Tennessee Williams, the great American playwright's words, the, the wolf at the door is luxury, not struggle. Take the struggle away and you're a, you're a fucking, you're a daisy. You're done. You're done. You need struggle. You need struggle. You do. What are you willing to struggle for? Just know that you're always going to be struggling. And, uh, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Get used to that. And I don't like talking this way, by the way. I'm being a little bit dramatic again. I don't like this. I don't like saying that it's all dreck. And I don't like the idea of hard work. I hate when people go, got to work hard, be disciplined. No, you don't. I don't believe in that shit. I don't. I believe in inspiration. I don't believe in hard, hard work doesn't last. It's like being on a diet. My New Year's resolution, bro, I'm working out every day. I'm not going to fuck off. It's not going to last. You got to be inspired. I don't believe in discipline. I believe in inspiration. And, and, and figure out a way to keep yourself inspired. That's hard. That's way harder than discipline. Inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, let, let, me, let me give you an example. If you're a, if you're a leader of a group of people. You know, there were leaders like Stalin and Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, Hitler, you know, we can go on, and, and other leaders who were very good at, at imposing their will on the masses at the barrel of a gun, at the threat of the gulag, you know, the end of a whip. Um, and so they, they, those people forced you to bow your head, you know, you, you were, uh, you know, and you were terrified. And you'll, you'll, you'll do things, right? There's another kind of leader that inspires you, that lifts your head up. When you look up to them and you want to be them, you wanna, you'd, you'd run through a wall because they've inspired you to be your best self. And, and it goes back to the, the great, I think it was Darren Asamoglu in, in the book, Why Nations Fail. But it's a beautiful quote. And he said, you can hold a gun to a man's head and force him to move a box or lift a rock you cannot hold a gun to a man's head and force him to have a great idea. Mm. And that's so important. And when you're trying to structure a society, you better know that man, if you want innovation and you want, you want the beautiful things in life, like the great writings of Shakespeare and the Parthenon and all the things that history has given us and the Taj Mahal that came from inspiration. It did not come from, you know, it didn't come at the end of a whip. So yeah, the labor may have, but not the inspiration. Jesus. Why, not, why isn't there music when I'm talking, man? I need music and, and wind blowing my hair back. I'll edit some. I'll see what we can do in post. I'll see what Jesus. we can do in post. <laughs> so, so I, should, I wish I had an English accent as well when I was talking. <laughs> I wish I sounded like the, the, the queen or the king. Anyway. Look, man, switching ideas, uh, switching gears right now. Um, 
in our first email exchange, we we talked about um, bad ideas, and it, and it got me thinking back to uh, a friend of of our show, uh, Douglas Murray. He's been on. Um, we spoke to him about bad ideas, and you know, I, and I know you you featured uh, Douglas's book on your bookless book club, uh, The Madness of yeah. Crowds, and um, yeah. so. When he came on, he gave this passionate speech about how there's so many bad ideas out there and that, you know, it's time to, you know, be brave at the moment and really stand our ground. What bad ideas do you try to stand your ground against if maybe one or two come to mind straight away? Well, you know, I have children and I'm watching them and I'm watching the, the children of my friends be become indoctrinated in these sort of, uh, I guess, Marxist ideas, critical race theory you know, which really separates people by the color of their skin and, uh, and, and by their victimhood. And by, you know, it, it, it separates people into oppressor and oppressed, powerful, powerless, that kind of bullshit that, that, by the way, is impossible to apply at the level of detail. You can't. You're not going to, you know, it, 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 these people, see, Murray does a good job of, 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 and I've talked to a lot of academics, a lot, probably 400 of them on my old podcast, Mixed Mental Arts. But, you know, the, the, these people are, um, again, they've read a lot of books. They're not particularly intelligent. They're definitely not courageous. And they live behind very expensive walls called the walls of a university. You can't even get in unless you have a lot of money and you're super, super, uh, you're a good boy or girl, um, you know, who's done everything they're told, you know. And this is, I have contempt. I'm not saying academics aren't important, but I I have, they're just, it's, who is it, Vaclav Schmel, somebody said, these academics live at the bottom of a well and all they can see is their sliver of the sky. It's so true. It's so true. And he does a good job of, of describing the fact that these people with their ideas, uh, they are deconstructionists. You and I have to live in a world where we're constructing a world. We're constructing a life for ourselves. You're, you're creating this podcast, trying to talk to, to people that inspired you. And, and you're trying to get good ideas out there and you try to build a life for yourself, right? Most of us are that way because we have to. You know, if, if, if I don't put butts in the seat, I don't make my money. I got to I got to I got to figure out a way to stay relevant. And, you know, it's hard in life making a relationship work, doing all that shit. Academics are on the outside. We're all in the cage and they're all on the outside of the cage. And they're and they're and they're essentially writing about what is wrong. They are deconstructionists. They're not const- they don't construct shit. They just stand on the outside and go, this is wrong. Let's tear this down. Okay, dude. And what are you going to build with it? What, what do you, do you know what it took to build this stuff? And are you, are you guys, you brilliant philosopher Kings, are you guys going to now rebuild society and these institutions that have stood that you all benefited from, including the fucking university, which was a place where the free flow, the exchange of ideas was was alive and that that was what was supposed to be not your orthodox thinking your ideological orthodox thinking that produces a bunch of paper papers nobody else cites so that that i think murray's contribution was good that way and so does peterson's these guys have done a very good job of, of of telling showing the rest of us who are not in academia how dangerous they are but i i personally i'm old enough because I'm older or as old as a lot of these people, <clears throat> they're not smart. 
They don't be afraid of these people. Don't be afraid of these radical left-wing ideologues. I don't care how many books they've read. They're not smart and they certainly don't have experience in the real world. They just don't. The majority of them don't. I've looked into it. They're, they're just, um, they're, they're irresponsible. It goes back to why I say, you know, I'm not sure if I trust anybody who doesn't use their hands to make a living. The only way you learn how to fight is by getting hit and hitting back and learning how to do that. You could stand at the edge of the cage, outside of a cage and watch fights for a hundred fucking years. You could never take what you know in your head and put it into your body until you're in the cage, swinging, understanding distance, moving. And life is that way. Life is that way. Anybody who makes their living with their face, don't trust them, including actors like myself. But at least I box and play tennis and do a lot of other sports. You guys hear that? Athlete. You said, yeah, we said athlete all around, all around. <laughs> you mentioned uh, universities, but then and, and um, another guy that, that I've spoken to twice a few times on this show that you know springs to mind is, is Brett Weinstein, obviously. Um, at Evergreen University, he, he ended up losing his job because he, you know, refused to leave campus when there was a um, sort of racial equality protest, if you will, in which every white member of staff had to leave the university and he didn't, you know, back down. Um, and I was talking to him about cancel culture and where he thinks it stems from. He said he thinks it's a game theatric problem and that sort of cancellation is the, the threat that causes people who don't believe something to act as if they do and convince themselves as if they do. And it's almost this army of the dead thing that if you're killed by the army of the dead, you join it. If you're confronted with the cancel culture movement, you either do what they ask and in turn increase the momentum of the movement or you're stigmatized publicly for it. Where do you weigh in on the reason behind cancel culture? Um, well, it's a very effective tool. It's very effective. And you can use, um, you can, you can use the threat of racism and you can use the threat of, um, of sexual, uh, sexually inappropriate behavior. So, so men who, men, straight white men or, you know, straight men, whatever it is, uh, traditionally in this society, especially in Hollywood did enjoy, um, the majority of the power. And, and then some of those men behaved badly and some of those men were, were, were um, irresponsible and tyrannical and the, the way people in power will behave. And so the, you know, sometimes th- these, kinds of, th- these kinds of cancellations, I think are an effective tool for people that don't know how to fight back. One of the cool things about Twitter and social media is that women for the first time were able to kind of go, wait, that guy's a scumbag? I, I had the same experience. Me too. And then you got like, you got literally 20 women with the same story. Well, now you got a problem. This, you know, this, now you got to, now you realize that guy's an asshole. And, and they're using the same thing with people who are abusive at work, right? Like this guy creates this crazy work environment. It sucks. And you couldn't do anything about it. You had to just, you had to just eat a dick and just keep going. And, and, and so I do think in that sense, if, if you have bad actors, People are way more careful now because they realize they can't get away with can't get away with being an asshole, right? Like with any other, any revolution, though, it 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 will become it will it will devour its young. All every revolution eats its young, right? It becomes a snake eating its own tail. 
because now you're getting social capital. Some people get social capital for, um, you know, for raising, for ringing the bells. Uh, and that those are the bad actors. So there are bad actors that, you know, and then all of a sudden allegations of any kind become weaponized. And what you want to avoid is allegations that are um, that, that that are weaponized, where, where just an allegation destroys someone's life and erases everything they've ever built. You can't have that. You, you need due process. You have to have due process. It's why the West has, you know, painstakingly won that sort of argument. But I, I'm afraid in some ways, anytime you have a revolution, just, you lose that. I mean, people don't touch you. And, and, and we have examples of this in history, and we've been living in that since 2017. There is good, there is also bad. And, and, um, and that, that's where I come down. I think that cancel culture overall, most people are profoundly uncomfortable with it because they know without due process, you're fucking next. Anybody could be next. And if it ain't you, it might be your kid. It might be your father. It might be your brother. It might be your sister. And that's what um, that's where I come down on it. I don't think it's a good thing. I do think that it has been used and applied uh, and taken out some bad people that wouldn't have been taken out otherwise. But at what cost? We better be very careful about the society we're building. And there are a lot. Of, and we also have journalists that are incentivized. You know, they're just trying to get a story, and it's so competitive now. And, and publications can't make money. So any kind of little scoop you can come up with and get yourself clicks, the pressure is enormous. So it kind of encourages irresponsible behavior. So I don't think, the answer is I don't think cancel culture overall is helpful. I think it creates an atmosphere of fear and it, and it causes people to not speak their mind. It kills free speech. And it because what it what cancel culture really is, please understand this, is it destroys your ability to earn a living. And you may be okay with that, but are you okay with telling your kids they have to move cities, states? They have to get out of there because you have to sell the house that they love. And now you gotta you gotta give your dog away as they're crying because you can't find a place that takes the dog. This is what happens. That's what cancel culture really is. So if you're going to do that to people, if you're going to take them off YouTube, if you're going to take them off of you know their platforms where they make a living, et cetera, you better be very responsible about that. And we, I worry that the the ability to cancel is in the wrong hands. It, it can't be in the it cannot be in the mob's hands. Right now, the mob with tweets can destroy somebody's career before it even gets started. Do you want to live in that world? I don't. And, and as far as anybody who goes along with cancel culture and, and, and is quiet, you're a coward. You're a bitch. You got to fight back. All that matters is what are you willing to stand for? What happens when, when chaos hits? Who are you? Stand up and speak your mind and, and stand up for yourself. Otherwise, it just keeps going and fight back. You can fight back. The dragon isn't that strong. Fight back. It may take a long time. Maybe you will, maybe you will die. But at least go down swimming. Mm. I guess that's. I mean, and I really that that that's that's what I believe in. But again, evil happens when good people do nothing. Most people don't. When whenever I talk about cancel culture, there's two people this year that spring to mind who, who people have tried many times to cancel. One being 
J.K. Rowling. We saw the attack of a book that was a complete work of fiction that no one had ever read before they decided to try and get it cancelled. And more shockingly to me, because it came from within the publishing company, we saw an attempt to try and get Jordan Peterson's book deal taken away. Now, yeah. this, you know, there seems to be this sort of book-burning mentality, which is really scary to me. What does that tell us about you know, the future of free speech? Are you worried? Well, it, it tells us that, first of all, those people who are doing that um, are terrified of ideas because they don't have they don't have ideas of their own. Mm. They, 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 they're so stupid and such small, little, weak people that instead of instead of beating a, an idea they disagree with with their own idea, like it's it goes back to that thing the way you beat a bad idea is with a better idea. They, they, they have no ideas of their own. They only have ideology that they protect like it's a Fabergé egg. They're so terrified that the only thing they can do is just try to get them away. I'm going to tell the teacher, that guy's bothering me. He's hurting me and he's being unfair. That's literally how they were raised. Not to defend themselves, but they go to an authority figure and he's being mean and hurting me with his words. And that's real. That's how they really talk. And that's how they really are. And so I have no respect. And I think that they're dangerous. And I think that they're weak. And that um, they've never lived in the real world. And they, they, uh, they, more shockingly, please understand, they've never read, they've never read the person they're trying to cancel. They haven't. I mean, the classic example is that the trans activist who'd never even read the book that he or she was railing against. I can't, Butterworth, whatever the fuck that guy's name was. These people are just, they're, they're fanatics. They've been traumatized somewhere along in their lives or, or they've been indoctrinated into something that they believe is the truth. And anything that bucks against that is evil and must be destroyed. They are tyrannical. And they are very limited in their thinking. You wanna talk about people that have done no thinking for themselves? They just do what they were told. They just have absorbed the ideology and lies given to them. They're just the weakest people on the planet. So, you know, yes, I worry about that because history, we've seen what that leads to, especially when big tech goes along with it. And uh, so I don't know, but I, again, you got to fight back. fight back, organize, organize, get together, fight back, you know, come up with better ideas, stick to the ideas that made the West great. You know, Um, the the freedom of speech, freedom of thought, individual liberty, individual expression, all that stuff. Yeah. A a bad idea that, you know, at the forefront of my bad ideas for me is, you know, Gad Saad always says that the, the granddaddy of all parasitic ideas is postmodernism. He even called it intellectual terrorism when he came on the show. <laughs> this idea that there's, there's no objective truth and that human nature is all socially determined. What do you think happens to a society that chooses to completely negate the scientific truth? That sounds like a dark world to me. Yeah, well, you know, the, I mean, I, if we're talking about Foucault and Derrida, you know, as this one academic said about Derrida, every time he makes a statement, you could also put semicolon or not. You know, these people didn't stand for anything, especially someone like Derrida. If you look at their lives, their personal lives, they were pathetic human beings. 
And they talk about intellectual math, uh, masturbation. Okay, so there's no objective truth, really, Derrida? Really, Foucault, all you guys, all you postmodernists, is that right? What about child abuse? <clears throat> How do you feel about that, <clears throat> right? Is that, is that an objective truth? Are you, is that, well, maybe yes, maybe no. How about slavery? Well, maybe, well, how do you feel about that? Well, there's no true or right or wrong. Okay. How about the concentration camps? What about Buchenwald or, or Auschwitz? What about genocide? Or what about the idea that those people are a problem? Let's get rid of them and the world will be better. What about the idea of striving for utopia and the perfection of human beings about mankind? I can show you we have about a hundred million graves to point to that that wonderful idea, that that fantasy of creating the Garden of Eden right here um, on earth, <clears throat> right? So I don't, I don't buy into the fact that there's no such thing as objective truth. Um, I, 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 I think what the postmodernist, a charitable way to interpret postmodernism, people like Derrida and Foucault, is the idea that, you know, maybe they were trying to say, why, why do we have to like, Derrida, for example, why do we have to use a binary um, sort of view, point of view of life, right? Male, female, hot and cold, yin and yang, all that stuff. Because he said in, in, in your mind, when you have a world like that, you tend to automatically favor one group over another, male over female, you know, um, uh, uh, rationality over emotion. And when you when you break the world into these things, you tend to have a natural prejudice towards it. Um, so, so I think what they were, they would tell you is they were trying to create an incredibly equitable world by, by completely erasing that notion of how to think and maybe deconstructing the idea behind male, female, you know, rational, spiritual, you know, because maybe there's no thesis to offer. And if you have no thesis to offer, then maybe they, they will, well, that's the best way to get rid of our prejudice. Stop, it's, it's stop speaking in binary terms and thinking in binary terms. And this is where the transgender and the gender movement has he's kind of taken that over and said, you know, uh, gender is a construct and whatever you say you are. It, that, that's the idea so that we don't fall into these 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 things where I'm a male and I got to behave this way. I'm a female. I got to behave this way. And it's it's a, it's they're trying to combat sort of the the cage that traditional masculinity and traditional femininity has put us in. I understand. I understand. But again, good luck. Good luck. You're, you're fighting biology. You're fighting culture. It's not going to happen, man. That's not how you change things. Not by some. Algerian slash French, you know, philosopher who didn't make the soccer team with great hair, who hates being short. This is not how you do it, okay? <laughs> hey, that, that you know, you don't do it with Foucault. You know, I, I understand what you're saying, bro. I, I yeah, I, I didn't. I, you're you're impossible to read. You fucking arrogant. You bag of wind. And no, you're not that smart. I know he's a genius. Okay, whatever. I read. It's, try reading Derrida. Try it. I'd rather go to the dentist with no Novocaine, okay? <laughs> but, I, but I've done it. I did it. Oh, my God. I want my money back and my time back, Derrida and Foucault. I like Foucault more than Derrida, by the way, but I want to get into that shit. The point is, <laughs> the point is, is that um, I don't know what you even asked me. I go off on these tangents because it gets me so annoyed. But, but I, I think that, that, that would be the idea. That would be the idea. That's a, that's a charitable way of looking at postmodernism. 
breaking down all sort of verbal uh, traps and, and, and mental traps. Uh, may, maybe that makes sense. There was, um, there was an incident recently. There was a, there was a protest in England, uh, the Bristol riots or the Bristol protests in which um, the police were attacked. Um, it's all underneath this defund the police idea. Um, and it took place in Bristol. And, you know, the, the basic facts were that these, you know, these Antifa or whatever you'd like to label them protesters were attacking police vehicles, attacking, you know, this footage of it. But then I was on Twitter and I saw these really artistic pictures with this poetic language and it sort of switched the narrative. And suddenly the police were the bad guys. And it just got me thinking back to, you know, it's that thing that Jonathan Haidt always talks about, that emotions, they control thinking now. Have words become more powerful than fact these days? Yes, yes, it, at least short term. Whoever mm. controls the narrative, whoever tells the best story mm. is, is, um, is, the, is the winner. I, I will say, though, that, um, you know, one of the cool things about all this is that there are people like you, young people, who are reading great thinkers. And there's a great deal of, of pushback. I mean, you and I are having conversations about really thoughtful people like Jonathan Haidt, uh, you know, and, and we're, we're mentioning people like Foucault and Derrida. These people, you know, this was all academic fringe shit. And now you've got a lot of people all over the world, man, kind of like mounting a defense against this. So there's a lot of pushback because people are inherently, intuitively, um, just uncomfortable with this. It doesn't make sense. You want to defund the police, huh? You, you're the police are the bad guys? Okay. All right. Do you know what violence looks like? Because uh, most of those people don't seem to really know what violence. I mean, if you want to do that and, and if you really think the police are the bad guys, uh, you know, every society has to figure out a way to, first of all, you, well, a couple of questions. Who has the monopoly on violence? You, you need someone to have the monopoly on violence. Otherwise, everybody, otherwise it breaks into warlords. I mean, if you really want to defund the police, if you're really serious about getting rid of the police, then. Uh, take a look at um, Somalia. <clears throat> take a trip. Take a trip in, in some of these countries, Afghanistan, some of the in the Waziristan. So see what happens. I mean, you know, it, it, things can, things will find their own way. There will be order, but it'll probably be like in Seattle, a rapper who's got his militia and his guns in the that that zone that cops weren't allowed in, which was so disgraceful fucking disgraceful really all right you know all those businesses you guys want to take over an area get the fuck out of here so i i uh, i think it's a fantasy so see so much of this stuff so much of this crazy stuff from critical race theory to defund the police you know it's not applicable it's 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 just you know it will burn out or it will readjust to a thing you don't like you know, the, the, my buddy said, I said, what do you think about this critical race theory and all this postmodernism? And my buddy said, he goes, well, I, it's, I, I, I would say it's exactly like invading Vietnam. Remember when the communists were going to take over Vietnam and then the rest of the world? So we got to go all the way over there and fight those terrible communists, because if we don't get them in Vietnam, they'll be in they'll be at our shores in no time. 
So a lot of this might be, you know, you and me and a bunch of us might be just paranoid and, and, and shadow boxing at something that's, that's impossible to apply anyway. It's just not going to take root. Gender neutral bathrooms. I, I want the book. Well, okay. Now I go to the bathroom and it has a, a, a triangle and it says gender neutral. I don't give a fuck. I'm in a restaurant. All right. I, what do you, you want to put gender neutral? I got to the bathroom. I got to take a piss. I don't give a shit. A lot of this stuff, critical race theory, you know, you have to apologize for your whiteness and you have to be a white abolitionist. I, all right. I, my mom's white. So fuck off. I like my mom. I ain't doing that shit. All right. What do you want me to do? Where do I sign? It was like, so, so with, um, um, so we used to have to take, uh, uh, sexual harassment workshops when you're in Hollywood and you're doing a TV show, there's a sexual harassment workshop. And guess what? Nobody really took it. They have a piece of paper you would have to sign, but this, somehow the workshop never showed up. Somehow you're like, well, I gotta, I gotta do, I gotta do uh, unconscious bias training. Really? <laughs> okay. So at work, you who's been, you, you who took some classes in university, are going to teach all of us how to be, that we are unconsciously biased. Really? It's like my joke. I need my fucking unconscious bias. If you have a face tattoo, I don't care how good a person you are, you're never babysitting my kids, okay? You understand? It's like, that's how it is. So so uh, I need my, if you got shifty eyes and, and clammy hands, I'm not getting the car with you. I'm not getting your Uber. You know, especially if it's a van with no windows, we, 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 we chunk information. You're not going to get rid of my unconscious bias. You know, it's a cute idea, but again, it's going to be what, what these people do is come up with things that are a nuisance that we can't, that the rest of us that are living in the real world can't apply at the level of detail. My, my bigger concern is that they get to our children. They're trying to rewrite history. They're trying to, um, indoctrinate our children into the idea that the West and everything it stands for is evil, racist, um, and colonialist and all that stuff. And they, and they, they dismiss the West in with a couple of, you know, words, which is just ridiculous. And they're using words and they're, they're mounting their arguments with words that were invented by the West, that were fought for by the West, that were argued for by the West, feminism, individualism, humanism, so, you know, they're very inconsistent. They just are. Um, they're very inconsistent. And if they're really, if you want to be a Marxist, okay, dude. I mean, if you could just point to one example in history, one, I'll wait, where it even worked a little bit. It, again, look, look, for anybody who believes in socialism and collectivism and Marxism, um, look, all good. Um, and this is for any academic and everything else. I'm sure they've turned this off by now, but but like, there are only so many seats at the front of the plane, okay? Everybody loves a first class seat. Everybody would rather be in first class in that big plus seat over seat 38E in the middle near the bathroom at the back of the, you know, I don't care, woke hates that as much as MAGA does. Um, so liberal hates that just as much as conservative does. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're not everybody gets a seat at the front of the fucking plant. Not everybody has an oceanside view. There isn't that much to go around. And, and so whether or not you have a communist government or a right wing government, there are going to be people that are going to figure out a way to game the system to get what they want, or at least to get it for their kids. 
It's how this aggressive competitive ape called a human being does it and has always and always will do it. You are not going to come up with a system that makes everybody, gives everybody a first class ticket. You can give everybody seat 38E. That's typically what happens. You turn the whole plane into a shit show with no seats and everybody's fighting just to sit on the floor. That's what happens. I mean, if you want to make everybody equal, you can make everybody miserable and poor. That's what history suggests. But these people that I'm mentioning history and those people don't read history. They just don't. They don't. You know, so I, I don't know. You know, so communism, do I have to say it? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Communist societies became just as unequal in a lot of ways as any capitalist society, only they were just unequally poor. At least we live in societies where you, you have a chance to make your money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just this fucking like 101 shit. <laughs> okay. Sorry about my language. Before we uh, dive into our <laughs> final two quick questions that we ask every guest, I think the, the best way to wrap up this segment on bad ideas is you once said that bad ideas are always going to be, be around. They're just going to be repackaged in different ribbons and paper. So just read a lot of history if you can. Yeah, I think read a lot of history. It's important because the, the, the thing about young people is they tend to be the most susceptible to bad ideas, and pretty packages. And it's just because they don't have the benefit of pattern recognition and experience. They've not seen these ideas before, right? It's like when a kid tells a joke, like my son's like, oh, it's too funny. I forgot to laugh. Uh, and I, you know, and he's, he thinks he just burned me because it's the first time he's heard it. He's like, dude, I fucking, I, I just burned my dad, you know, and he walks away with his hands in the air. I, I, I feel a little bit like that when you're a young person in college and you hear about the idea that I can make everybody equal and we just have to rearrange the way all of us think and have always thought. And here's the problem with the West. It, it's very seductive. And so what your in your instinct is, well, let's just tear out down everything that came before me. Because there's this new idea, right? Like nobody, nobody in their 50s joins a cult. It's always young people. Because that's because young people will actually believe that that cult leader has all the answers and is the only person on the planet who's right. And everybody else is wrong. That's when you join a cult. You join a cult when you really believe that the leader of that cult has found the enlightenment, the answer. And that his philosophy proves that everybody else has been doing it wrong. That's, that's exactly what goes on with young fanatics. And education doesn't get you out of your youngness. It doesn't. Education doesn't. In fact, it probably makes you more dangerous because you spent too much time not using your hands and learning something at the level of detail, at the level of the tactile well, you understand the thing. You, you, you've, been, you've been living in a world of theory, very dangerous. So that, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the, the sort of the danger of, of, of youth, I suppose. You know, revolutions are always, uh, and when I say revolutions, think about it, they're mostly destructive. They're mostly destructive. Um, look, at, look, at, uh, look at sort of, you know, Mao Zedong's China. The, the youth of that country that destroyed old China, that destroyed even gardens because they were bourgeoisie, <clears throat> that shot dogs because owning a dog was bourgeoisie. I mean, it, it was terrible. And they, they had the fanatic, the, the, that sort of 
vicious fanaticism that starved 40 million people for the better of the future, for the betterment of, for, for utopia. Because my leader, Mao Zedong, has all the answers. My leader, Hitler, has all the answers. My leader, uh, Joseph Stalin, has all the answers. It's very seductive for young people. It's only until you're older that you go, hey, wait a minute, man. I've seen how this works out. Everybody's putting all their, all their eggs in, in Napoleon's basket over here. I mean, you know, and, and, and Napoleon's been talking about, I am the revolution and I am one with the people. I, I know how this turns out. Sounds like a charismatic leader who just hijacked the army and he's going to fucking, he's going to, he's going to roll through Europe in, in the name of, you know, French glory, Corsican glory, and we're fucked. And it's not until you're older that you've seen this before. You've seen this game before. That's why Churchill could tell. He knew what was up. He knew what was going to go on with the Nazis. He knew what Hitler was up to. He was older. He was older, man. He said, this is a bad idea. <clears throat> this is a bad idea. And so I think to anybody who's young, please, please take a look at what, how you benefit from the things that came before you. Please understand that the institutions that you are standing on that, that, that have influenced the way you think um, are delicate and important. And you don't make change by tearing down everything that came before you because you have no idea. You have no idea how to replace it. It ain't, the answers are not in Derrida and all your intellectuals who've never actually lived in the real world. They're not in your philosophers. They're not, man. You know, um, societies are built at, at the rate of, at, 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 at human scale, at human scale. They, they, they come about over millennia, over generations for a reason. Yes, yes, they're not perfect. Yes, they can be tweaked. Yes, they can be um, held to account sometimes when, when they've been unequal. I understand. Yes, you're right. And it's not, it's not to say that the youth don't have something to offer when they say, this is unfair. I don't like this. I don't like the way Black people have been treated. I don't like the way this, yes, okay, I understand. And there's a way to change that. But it's not by, by wholesale destruction. It's not by burning down the whole house. Because you don't know, you, you have, I promise you, no fucking idea how to build that house back up. <clears throat> so that's what I would say. I hope that was the answer to your question. Absolutely yeah. perfect way to, to wrap up the, the bad idea segment. And if we transition now to those final two uh, questions that we ask every guest, the first one, look, we've talked about a lot of books today. I know you're a man that, that reads an extensive amount. So this may be a hard question for you, but could you give our audience maybe two, three books that have had a massive impact on your life? You know, I, I love, um, I, I love, I really love Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind. I think that's a great, a great book. I like um, the secret, the secret of our success by Heinrich, uh, by uh, Joseph Henrik, I think it's called okay. the secret of our success, which is really about um, how human beings get smarter when they share, when they learn from each other, when you do culturally appropriate, cultural appropriation is very good, very important. We get smarter that way. If you, if you want to see, if you want to stay really dumb, stay super isolated in your tribe, keep purifying your echo chamber. And you'll do shit like bind women's feet 
and strangle widows and all the other shit that these, these, you know, isolated tribes did. You'll do things like eat your fucking neighbors or your relatives when they die and get Kreutzfeldt's disease. I mean, this is, this is what happens. We get smarter when we, we, we learn from each other, when we are exposed to each other, when we have to trade with each other, even when we fight with each other and finally intermarry. These are the kinds of things. Mix it up. Mix it up. Melting pot. Forget your, your identity politics. Get it out of the, the equation. <clears throat> Again, it's like my, my joke. It's like if you're serious about racism, have sex, have children with somebody lighter or browner than you are. And then we'll all be the same fucking color, like kind of a brickish, a brickish red. And we'll still find reasons to hate each other. I promise. I promise. And if you doubt that, if you think that looking different is the problem, talk to the Israelis and Palestinians. Talk to the Igbo and the Yoruba of Nigeria. Talk to the, the Nua and the uh, Dinka of Sudan. Please, I'll give you a thousand examples of people who look exactly like each other, have very similar cultures, and uh, hate each other, k -k 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 kill each other, sworn enemies. So shut up. With your with your racism is the problem. No, tribalism and human beings don't need much to go after each other. So, um, was that the answer? What, what were you asking me? I go off on the two or three answers. books that have impacted your life. You gave oh, us yeah. two there. So, the Righteous Mind, and then uh, Joseph Henrik's uh, "The Secret of Our Success," and you know, um, it's a little outdated, maybe, but I, I like. Um, I like guns, germs, and steel, mm. but I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to end necessarily on that. Um, I, I'm a big believer in, in reading novels, and I don't. I don't do enough of it. I really don't. Here's a. Here's a. Rather than a book, guys, um, I like. I there's a course. There's it's 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 called the Great Courses, and there's a course on the Federalist Papers. And the Federalist Papers were sort of the, uh, the, the James Madison, um, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay wrote a series of essays in New York newspapers arguing for what's called a federation, sort of the, the, the federalism, the idea that the United States is, um, has a strong federal central government, but also arguing for states' rights, sort of the idea that, you know, we are a nation, but we also have states have the ability to at least push back a little bit on the federal authority because they know better. And, and that's fundamental to our republic um, in the United States. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's been emulated or tried to be emulated throughout the world. I mean, I, so I, I would say read the Constitution and read the Federalist Papers. Um, and I probably wouldn't do that if I said that to myself. And I'm trying to come up with it. So, so, so I'm, I'm trying to come up with a, a book that I <clears throat> I really liked, but I don't know. There's so many. It's a very unique so answer. Many. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I, oh, oh, you know what, man? I'll tell you, uh, let me, let me give everybody else up. Uh, this guy named, I think it's Andrew Buck, Buckwalt, Buckholt. Um, he, he wrote the shape of European history. I believe it's not a book. It's a, it's again, it's a course of the great courses. And, and the reason I say it's very important and I find it for you guys. And I, I think it's really important. <clears throat> and let me, let me tell you why. Because in that course, if you listen to those lectures, they're a half hour each, dude. And so you can do this. They're just a half hour. It's not that big a deal. If you listen to this course, they, he, he makes an amazing, amazing 
um, argument for how ideas, okay, like Einstein's idea um, of the idea that time is relative, time and space are relative. Oh my God, like time bends and things like that. That was, that was, I mean, it was revolutionary and it changed even the way people like Dali painted. Um, and then, and then Darwin, when he came up with this idea of sexual selection, design without a designer. Oh my God. Um, and then Freud, who said, oh, by the way, young men want to have sex with their mother. What? These ideas literally took the Christian mind that was so focused and just atomized it. People were like, wait a minute, these guys are making these arguments and, and Einstein and, and his friends are able to predict when, where and how the planets move. They got to be telling the truth. And it ushered in um, sort of this whole idea that everything I've been of the foundations of my civilization, the, 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 the pillars, which were Christian, um, might very well be not the whole story. It's not just about the Bible and Aristotle. It's about all these other thinkers. And it's why we probably turned Europe into a slaughterhouse. And, and we had that long civil war called World War I and World War II. And I'm trying to find the, I'm trying to find the, uh, and I'm going to get it here, but it's Foundations of Western Civilization by Robert Buckholz. Foundations of Western Civilization. It's so good. And it's, and it's, you can get it at the great courses. And man, I, I, I recommend it. I really recommend it. I appreciate yeah, that. So, Re- a yeah. great, unique answer. I've not heard anyone recommend a course before. So that's a first. And I, uh, I really appreciate the thought you put into that, man. Yeah, so, man. I think it's, imp- it's important. And I think it's, it's easier to listen to somebody really smart talking to your ear for a half hour. You'll get a lot. You'll, you'll, you'll learn a lot more than a book. Because sometimes books are hard to read for us who are young. They're hard, right? And they're hard yeah, to understand. Yeah, unless you have, you know. Yeah. So there it is, my friend. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you. And I hope I wasn't, uh, I hope I wasn't too long winded. No, but, uh, absolutely but amazing, you- man. If, if just before you go, um, just a really quick one uh, for you right now, this could be anything. It could be your work. It could be your family for Brian Callan. What makes a life worth living right now? You know, my kids and, uh, I, I like uh, I like teaching them, yeah. and I like I like doing the best I can to get them to avoid the mistakes I made. Good luck, <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. And um, and I think just uh, trying to continue to be original, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Trying to uh, yeah, trying to fight the way I know how, which is to get my ideas out there this way. And uh, and uh, if you want if you want to learn nothing and laugh. If you want to learn nothing and laugh, go to Big and Hungry podcast, Big and Hungry, or on Patreon, Conspiracy Social Club, where my brilliant friend and great comic, Sam Tripoli, drops conspiracies, none of which I believe in. <laughs> and I argue with him. And that's, that's what is that? Conspiracy, that's that's patreon.com slash Conspiracy Social Club or Big and Hungry podcast, which is free. And those are my two podcasts, I guess. And Perfect. that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. I'll make sure so, that um, all of those are linked in the description below so everyone can check that out. Brian, man. Thanks, look, brother. Thanks so much. Um, you know, it's a, it's a real pleasure for me personally. You, you, you know, you inspired me to start podcasting. Um, you inspired me to, to read philosophy. 
when I was in university. So it feels like I've come full circle here in the podcast. Game. <laughs> uh, thank well, you so it, much. It's, it's a privilege, brother. It's a privilege to me. And I, I just love that I had an impact. It's always so great for to see a young, a young dude like you taking the torch and, and making a difference. What do you do? What is, are you also a journalist? Do you know what? I'm actually, I'm trying my best. Um, so I make money through this part-time, not enough to live a full, uh, full salary off yet. So I, you will, you will, you will. So I, uh, I actually, I uh, personal train and work in a gym on the side. So this is just my passion project slash uh, side business. Well, you're a thoughtful guy, man. You're a thoughtful, smart guy. And I have no doubt you'll be successful. And I think you're doing good work here. So anytime, anytime, brother, stay oh, in touch. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Freedom Pack podcast. We'll be back with another episode on Friday. Until then, please come and join us over on YouTube where all these podcasts plus highlights of our best bits are uploaded to YouTube in video format. The best way you can support the show is to come on over and subscribe to us on that platform. Drop a comment on the videos. Let us know what you thought of them and we would love to interact with you. So please come and join us over on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash freedom pact. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.